Hey, welcome to Uptime Logistics. Uh, I am your host, Doug Draper. Uptime Logistics is powered to you by Cap Logistics. Please visit them at caplogistics.com. But enough of that. We have an amazing show here today. Uh, we're going to be talking with John Gould with uh, 10 Tanker. We're going to talk a lot about uh, fire suppression, air fire suppression, and um, things that are uh, super cool. I got all kinds of great questions that we're going to ask, and we're going to learn a lot about the industry and the process. But first and foremost, we need to introduce our guest, uh, learn a little bit about him and and the history of uh, of Ten Tanker. So, John Gould, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Good, Doug. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's nice yeah. to be here with you. Yeah, for sure. So as I said, we like to uh, learn a little bit about our guest, right? And you don't have to go all the way back to elementary school, I promise you. But um, tell us a little bit about uh, your career, uh, your background, and then how you and Tent Tanker uh, came to be and a little bit about uh, about your business. Sure. Well, um, I came to this business kind of through a, uh, you know, through a different path than most people would. Um, I, well, in college, started uh, fighting forest fires up in Alaska and uh, um, got out of college and I didn't see any reason to quit doing that. So I spent the first 25 years of my fire career as a, uh, as a ground firefighter, um, you know, mostly as a smoke jumper. Uh, and in doing that, I was able to fight fires all over the West and, uh, and not just Alaska. Uh, and then I had kids and uh, that lifestyle didn't really work out very well. So I started doing fire program management for the Department of Interior. <clears throat> and then I did that for um, the next 10 years, uh, 12 years. And um, um, in that time, um, I had a lot of stints in Washington, D.C. and I met the 10 Tanker people. So when it came time for me to retire, um, they asked me if I'd come and work for them. and uh, so here I am. I did business development for Ten Tanker for about five or six years, and then I've been the president and CEO of Ten Tanker for the last four. So that's uh, that's a little synopsis of my career. So lots of firefighting and uh, you know a little bit of business at the end. Yeah. Well, it's a perfect combination, right? I mean, you have the street credibility to get out there and and provide feedback and and. Um, I don't know if it's E.F. Hutton type of, uh, of comments, but uh, people will listen when when you uh, when you have an opinion. So, um, hey, so let's just talk exactly what aerial firefighting is. Right. We understand and get lots of pictures of the folks on the ground um, and we see the tankers kind of zooming over. But, um, you know, what exactly is it uh, other beyond the obvious and then maybe a little history of how things got started uh, in aerial firefighting? Yeah, well, you know, aerial firefighting—it's uh, it's a pretty broad net. I think that, you know, we at uh, Ten Tanker think of it in terms of of uh, large air tankers flying over fires and and uh, dropping retardant to to help the firefighters on the ground. But of course, it's it's uh, all the helicopters you see out there, every different size of helicopter, single engine air tankers, scoopers, um, and then uh, you know. Helitech crews, uh, our aerial firefighters, smoke jumpers. So it's a it's a very broad net, um, and we're just a small part of it uh, here in in the uh, air tanker world. So I think that in terms of aerial firefighting, historically, 
um, it, it started out with uh, airplanes dropping, dropping water um, in support of firefighters on the ground. And I think that, you know, that started back, um, you know, I'm going to get my decades wrong, probably in the 40s uh, in Region 1 of the Forest Service up in Montana. Um, helicopters came in shortly after that, but it's been progressing ever since then. I, I think that the aerial firefighting industry that most of us know, um, you know, sort of came to came to uh, being in the 1970s, 60s, and 70s with uh, old old World War II surplus bombers that uh, we see converted, and that and that sort of stayed with us all the way through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And uh, you know, we were still flying in old P2Vs and and uh, PB4Ys. Um, you know, as late as the, you know, the late nineties. So um, it's, it's progressed past that. Now, I think that the Forest service did a very good job of, of, uh, you know, making their contracts uh, search out and find different airplanes. And, you know, and that's how these jet powered aircraft came into, into being, they were looking for an, the next generation of air tanker that wasn't a world war II bomber. And um, mm -hmm. so right now, um, I think it's uh, the most modern fleet that that uh, the Forest Service has ever had, um, certainly in the um, in the large air tanker part of the industry. And we've got us as a DC-10, all of our airplanes were built in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, the BA-146 is an RJ, same thing, um, you know, uh, 90s. Um, some 737s uh, that are now starting to creep into the fleet. Uh, they're built in the 90s, 2000s, maybe. So um, it's uh, it's getting to be a progressively newer fleet than uh, we've ever had before and a more capable fleet than we've ever had before. So that's kind of the history of the, uh, at least the large air tanker side of it. Nice. Good. C couple questions on the equipment, right? I think um, most of us see... Um, your planes, your industry in action, obviously uh, in the summertime and the fire season. Sometimes I see air tankers. Sometimes I see helicopters. Sometimes they're dropping bags of, uh, of water. Sometimes they're doing retardant. So this is a two-part question. The first one is, what dictates the type of equipment used versus a helicopter versus a tanker? So that's question one. And then question two, what dictates the use of suppression, uh, retardant, versus water, and, and maybe it's all circumstantial, I don't know, but talk about which type of equipment first, and then why water in some instances, and why retardant in others? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what the guys on the ground want, and, and I think that what you'll, you'll find is that if you have an initial attack fire, a fire that's uh, just started, or, you know, a portion of a big fire where the, the fire's really moving, and it, it's, it's really running and the firefighters that are on the ground can't catch up to it. You need to put in a line. You, you have to have to find a way to slow that fire down. So that's where the large air tankers uh, come into play. And that's where we do a good job is we put long lines in that will uh, slow the, the progress of that fire. And um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a good use of our, our tools there. If you, or a firefighter that's on the ground and you're working on a portion of line that uh, has occasional flare-ups or trees that are flaring, 
Um, then you'll find them using a helicopter with a bucket and uh, they'll find a tree that's uh, starting, to, starting to torch out. They'll have a helicopter that's working with them and you can go back and dip in a, a pond or a stream and then come back and drop on that flare up. And so you find a really effective use of helicopters helping firefighters that are working on the line along the ground. Um, they can't, they don't lay as good a line uh, down to catch up with the fire that, you know, like an initial attack fire. Um, and a lot of that has to do also with, um, you know, how transportable these airplanes are, you know, whether or not it's a helicopter or a fixed wing airplane. Um, fixed wing airplanes get to the fire much faster, uh, but then they have to go all the way back to the base to, to reload. But in terms of a fire escaping initial attack, and an airplane being able to get there and get a line around that fire, um, fixed wing aircraft do a, a much better job. Uh, helicopters take a little longer to get there. Um, not saying they can't do it, uh, but uh, you know, in the industry, that's kind of the way you'll find it breaking out. That helicopters, you know, once the fire's been established a little bit, helicopters um, are there showing up, and uh, fixed wing aircraft, uh, large air tankers will. Come and put a ring around the fire if they can. So that's how it works. Gotcha. In, in terms of what product they will use, um, I think that everyone would like to use, um, you know, some kind of uh, fire retardant. And the reason that you see it, it's so common in in airplanes now when we fly over a fire, is if if you find a, a day in Colorado, for instance, where it's 90 degrees and that fire is going. The relative humidity is probably about um, you know 10%, 12%, something like that. So if you're dropping water with a large air tanker, um, you're going to lose a significant percentage of that um, between the airplane and the ground. And then the rest of it, when it hits the ground, is probably going to be gone within five minutes, 10 minutes. Um, you know, it evaporates so quickly in those temperatures, you know, especially in southern exposures where the sun's right on it. Um, so, you know, water works great, uh, but it goes away fast. So if you can replace that water quickly, like with a scooper or with a, with a helicopter, then fine, you, you'd want to use water. Um, but if you can't, if, if uh, you're somewhere that's a long way from a water source and the fire's going, uh, you want that retardant that um, it's got these gum thickeners in it uh, that keep it hydrated. It goes to the ground and it stays hydrated on the ground for hours. And so it's, a, it's an effective tool even hours after they drop it. So that's the reason that you use different retardants and why sometimes you'll see water being dropped. Uh, they're close to the source and they have a helicopter or a scooper that can go around in short circles. But uh, by and large, if you have a new start, you want something that's going to stay effective on the ground for a long period of time. And uh, that's why you'll see that red retardant coming out of the bottom. Good. That's an awesome explanation. I completely understand now whenever uh, you see the differences. So that uh, uh, thanks for clarifying that. Uh, let's flip into the business side of it, right? Um, it'd be interesting to learn about how your industry is, you know, set up and structured and organized um, um, because they're not just calling 1-800-10-TANKER, come help us, right? I mean, there's, there's organization, there's structure, there's processes in place. So talk a little bit about, about that, right? Oh, um, anyway, go for it. I think that's the best way. You're going to be able to explain a lot better than I can. So, Sure. I'll do my best. So um, there are, uh, you know, half a dozen large air tanker companies. 
um, probably the same number of companies that fly single engine air tankers, a couple of companies that fly scoopers. Um, you know, there are just, uh, you know, there are people who get into the industry, they see that they, that they like it um, and that they think they can make money off of it. Um, and it's not really a hodgepodge. I mean, we're spread all over the West. They're, they're a very Western centric group of companies, um, but we're sort of all organized through uh, for service contracting and to a smaller degree state contracting that's around. Um, but you'll find that um, when we when we come into business, we have to get certification through the Forest Service in order to fly on Forest Service fires. And that most most people have adopted the Forest Service certification. Or you know, if you're the state of California, they want to see that you're a certified airplane and that you know you have the the ability to to perform safely on the fire. So um, so to start with in this business, we all get our airplanes certified. Um, at least in the large tanker uh, business through the Forest Service, through the Interagency Air Tanker Board. And, um, you know, that that allows us to bid on contracts. And and the Forest Service has the majority of the contracts. They, they've become sort of the de facto uh, wildland firefighter um, uh, force for the for the United States. You know, when there's when there's a fire somewhere in the wild, uh, the Forest Service will be involved one way or the other. And that, that involvement goes beyond contracting, but also uh, to the National Interagency Fire Center where the Department of Interior, all the agencies that are there work hand in hand with the Forest Service. And, and so they sort of do the directing of where we go. So as a air tanker company, um, I get contracts with the US Forest Service or with CAL FIRE but let's say let's stick with the Forest Service. I've got a, I've got a uh, interagency air tanker approved air tanker. Um, I, I bid on a contract that the Forest Service has, and I, I get that contract. They will call me early in the spring if it's a if it's a uh, exclusive use contract and say, okay, we want your airplane on the first of April. Um, in fact, this year, one of our airplanes, again, was on the, the 3rd of April. So we've now got, uh, you know, a couple airplanes working for them. They direct us where to go. And they'll, they'll say, okay, we want you to go relocate at, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's Colorado Springs or maybe it's uh, right now um, we're in Mesa, Colorado or Mesa, uh, Arizona. And so they usually put us a pl in a place where, they know they expect that they're going to get uh, heavy fire activity in the spring. That's usually the southwest, and then we sort of work up the Rocky Mountains, and and uh, you know, and then over to the the coastal states. You know, as we work through the summer. So there's a pattern to it, but we are directed by uh, the Forest Service where to go, and we work out of um, a number of air tanker bases. So. Right now we're in uh, Mesa, Arizona, and there have been a number of fires down there, and we've been running back and forth between the fires in Mesa. And uh, I think this next airplane that's going to come on will probably go down to Roswell, New Mexico. There's fires here in New Mexico, so we'll go hit those. And as more airplanes come on, they'll sort of spread across the West. Um, so all, you know, the business side of it, all those 
uh, airplanes um, are directed by um, a coordination system that's in place throughout the uh, throughout the West, actually throughout the United States. Uh, that's uh, they're sort of directed by the main coordination system in Boise, Idaho, at the National Interagency Fire Center. So uh, they call it the NIC, the National Interagency Coordination Center. Will tell us where to go, and they'll assign us to another coordination center. In uh, you know, right now it's in the Southwest and it's here in Albuquerque and they will direct us to go to Arizona or wherever. Um, in Colorado, they, they have a, a coordination center in Denver that uh, if we're assigned there, they will take us and tell us where to be in, in Colorado and which fires to go to. So there's a, a pretty, um, a very highly functional system in place that tells us which fires to go to and which fires to drop on. And, um, and uh, it, it gets, the resources that uh, are available probably to the highest priority fires, um, you know, 90, 95% of the time, it's, uh, you know, those kind of things are never perfect, but I think they do, uh, the system they put in place does a, a really good job. Um, so now let's say that uh, we're flying out of Colorado Springs and we have a fire somewhere on the, on the front range that we're going to go drop on. How do we know where to go and how do we, you know, who directs us uh, to drop on the fire? You know, that's a, a question we get a lot. So we we get uh, the system uh, gets a request for an air tanker. Um, we'll get that sheet of paper that gives us a set of coordinates that we're supposed to fly to. And it tells us which airplanes are in the area um, or if there are none. And um, we'll go will fly direct to this fire. And on every fire, there's a firefighter on the ground who has a request in for our air tankers. And they have a very good idea of what they want to do. And most of those firefighters on the ground are working with a, an air tactical group supervisor that uh, is up in the air with them. And they're probably putting together a pretty good plan um, about how they want to attack this fire with the air, aviation resources that they have. So by the time we get there, that plan's usually in place. And there's a there's an airplane that always flies in front of us, um, you know, to, you know, actually it's a it's a fantastic um, safety uh, issue for us that, you know, we have someone who knows the the route that we're going to fly. Do you know, you know, we're a big airplane and flying in, in large steep mountains. Uh, it, it's good to have someone who's flown the route before. Uh, they make sure that the entrance is good for us, that the run is uh, in place, and that we have a good exit for our airplane. So we we fly out to the fire. We team up with the lead plane who's been in contact with the ground or the air tactical group supervisor. And uh, it's a very deliberate process that we go through. We fly down um, onto a piece of line that's been identified, and, and uh, they'll tell us what coverage level that they would like. And... We'll drop it where they ask us to, and uh, you know. So the only magic in the in the whole thing is how well can your airplane drop? You know, some airplanes drop a really good line, and some not so good. We we happen to think that our DC tens drop a a really nice line, and so we'll get down on the fire, and uh, you know, at uh, 250 feet, and you know, we fly very well downhill, and um, so we can get down into you know, some bottom of some of these drainages that, uh, that, 
you know, used to be harder with other airplanes. So we'll drop and, and that'll be it. So, and then it's a rinse and repeat. You know, we drop on a fire, uh, we'll go back and reload. If it's a big fire, for instance, those fires in the Colorado Front Range last year, um, lots of load and returns. We spent a lot of time going back and forth to those fires. Um, so that, that's kind of how it works. You know, it's a, it's a little different scenario for initial attack, but essentially the same thing happens. We'll, we'll go out and if we do it right, um, you know, a fire that's just started, we might get a ring around the whole thing and they'll never call us back. Uh, and, you know, it's a one and done. And, uh, but, you know, we like to see those, but oftentimes the way fires are burning these days, uh, you know, they, they, you know, once they start, um, they grow so quickly and they're, they're, they're very hot fires. So, uh, you got to catch them early or, uh, you're playing catch up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Good well, it makes sense. To, okay. No, it's perfect. You cut. Co you covered a uh, uh, couple of follow-up questions. To be frank with you, which is that, that means you and I are clicking, right? We're we're, <laughs> we're 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 doing well. So it completely makes sense that you'd want to be kind of in market, if you will. So your point of origin is not Albuquerque. You're there. Say, hey, you need to go to Mesa and set up shop, and um, because yep. of the research and, and the history, we know, and you're going to be closer uh, closer to the fire. And the one thing that that you just made mention of is you see all these movies with pilots, right? Uh, whether it's Top Gun or any other movies where pilots are uh, mavericks or renegades or whatever. And, and it, uh, if I'm a pilot and I'm going over the fire, sounds like they, they do not make a judgment call where, Hey, I'm the pilot. I see where I need to go. I know you told me to go left, but I think it's more important to go right. It sounds like those judgment calls just don't exist and there's really a lot of control on what your guys are doing. Is that correct? <clears throat> For the most part, that is correct. I mean, there are, there are aircraft that have uh, um, air tanker pilots that are initial attack qualified. That means that they can fly out to a fire um, without any aerial supervision being over the fire and they can drop on that fire. They'll have contact with the people on the ground um, you know, it, it, it sounds like a, a great idea as a, a, you know, as a incident commander who spent, you know, decades on the ground dealing with initial attack, uh, qualified pilots for air tankers. I, I think that it's better to have aerial supervision. I've seen so many wasted loads where they're put in the wrong place or they you spend so much time trying to describe to the pilot of an air tanker that's that's uh, just come on the scene where you are, where you want to run, uh, where to start, where to finish, um, and their expensive airplanes to fly. So it's better to have aerial supervision. Um, there's oftentimes not enough to go around. So there are air tanker pilots who are qualified to go in without the aerial supervision. But by and large, they better have uh, clear direction uh, from the people on the ground. But um, Doug, you're exactly right. 90% uh, of the time um, we're told where to put it. Um, so you'll see sometimes if, if you're, if you happen to be around a fire where you see a, an air tanker approaching, there'll be a, you know, a small, um, you know, King Air lead plane in front of it. You'll see a little puff of smoke that'll come out of that, that lead plane. And then a while later, you may see another puff of smoke or, you know, it depends on how he wants to do it. But those puffs of smoke are typically where they want you to start and where they want you to stop. And uh, there's a constant dialogue that's going on between 
the lead plane pilot and, and the pilot that is uh, running the air tanker. And, you know, they'll say, okay, um, you know, we're going to turn final here. And you can see where I want you to start at that big pine tree here. And so we'll come up and just start it right here. And then he'll pop the smoke. And then he'll say in straight line here and finish here. And he'll pop the smoke again and he'll say exit left or something like that. And so we have very good direction on where to go. And the only thing that, you know, again, the magic there is to calculate for wind drift and make sure you're doing that right. And that's where the, you know, our good pilots uh, do a great job of that. So we managed to get it in there. Nice. Yep. That's where the tribal knowledge comes into play. And it's, it's, it's good to know if there's, there's direction right from the ground, like you said, 90, 90%, if not more, um, it's very strategic. You would not have thought about wind uh, patterns and and how um, the retardant's gonna drop. Um, quick question on the, uh, the refueling or the replenishment, right? So you see the retardant coming out of the plane. When you go back to reload, is it like a tank? I mean, how, how do you reload? The plane. You just hook up a a hose like you would like a a gas tanker, or tell me about that. Like, what is it in boxes? Is it totes? Is it chemical? You know, walk us through. You just dropped a load. You went back to base. You just landed. What do you do then? Yeah. So our airplanes will pull up to a you know an air tanker base, and and I always say for service, but you know the state of Colorado has air tanker bases. The state of you know, most states have an air tanker base or two, um, but for the most part, we will land at uh, contract air tanker bases that are run by the Forest Service um, and uh, a company um, called Foscheck. Um, our Perimeter Solutions now is the, the name of the company. They have a system set up there. So when we pull in, um, you know, they'll guide us in and stop us in a place. And it's kind of like a pit crew. I mean, all of a sudden people will run out to the airplane and uh, they'll hook uh, big hoses up to our tanks. And it's just a three inch fire hose and a three inch cam lock fitting. Um, we have three of them that go at once on our airplanes. And um, you know, each one's a little different, but they're all three inch cam lock fittings. And that pit crew will come out and uh, they'll start pumping retardant into that airplane at 500 gallons a minute, give or take a little bit, you know, it depends on the plane and, and the base, but it goes in fast. And uh, at the same time, if we need fuel, the, the fuel trucks come up and uh, they'll pump the fuel in for us. So for our pilots, uh, they never get out of the airplane. Once their day starts on a, on a long day, um, they, they take off and they land and they taxi in and, they, they never open the doors. Uh, there's, we have our, you know, our mechanics are there to, to help the crews get the stuff on. Um, the fuelers come up and uh, it takes about 20 minutes, 25 minutes for a turnaround for a DC-10 if they're getting fuel and a little bit less. They can fill the tanks, you know, in 15, uh, sometimes it takes as much as 20 minutes to fill our 9,400 gallon tanks, um, and then we're ready to go again. So, um, so if you are at one of those air tanker bases, you know what you'll see is a uh, is air tankers coming in and sort of pulling into. They call them the pits, and they'll pull into these pits. Uh, people work it real hard and and get the guys in and out very quickly. Um, and so, 
if you're watching a fire that's burning, you know, close to where you are, you'll see the same airplanes come back. Um, you know, the average turnaround time is about an hour. Uh, you know, it's, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes out to the fire, um, 10 minutes over the fire, 25 minutes back and then rinse and repeat. So that's how it works. Yeah. Nice. That that's good to know, you know, being in Colorado, uh, we've seen in, in my years living here, you see these fires and they're so devastating and, and literally your heart just wrenches and the plane comes and goes and you're wondering, uh, is that it? What happened? Where did they go? And so what you just outlined, um, makes me feel really good, right? I mean, you guys are hustling the guys in there, uh, the, or the pilot, uh, stays in, in the, uh, in the aircraft and to flip it that quick, 20 to 25 minutes, um, yeah, you guys are just doing everything you possibly can. So that's interesting to know the time, uh, yeah. the time involved. So let's let's flip just in the last few minutes that we have. Um, I like to refer to it as like future trends, right? You talked a little bit at the beginning about how the industry got started and, and, and a little bit about um, the different types of equipment and the different types of retardant or water. Um, fires aren't going away. And we all know in, in this geographic region, they're getting hotter, more intense. Um, what do you, what, what's coming down the pike, right? There's all kinds of technology we can throw at it. And, and I'm sure there's some cool things that are going on, whether it's an approach to manage a fire or whether it's a physical thing, like a new piece of equipment or a new type of retardant. So fast forward over the next couple of years, what type of advancements in technology do you see, uh, related to fire air fire suppression? I think the big advancements that we're seeing now, um, helping the ICs on the ground are certainly the aerial observation. Um, I think that we know a lot more about the fires that are in place, um, you know, where the critical spots are, just because we, you know, and we've been getting, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been getting infrared uh, photography working on our fires for years and years, but now it's become very sophisticated, it's real time. Um, and we have, uh, you know, a lot more aircraft that are doing it. I think that that's that's probably the biggest innovation. Um, we're also seeing um, unmanned aerial, aerial vehicles that uh, um, they're using on fires. But, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, and maybe this is just a product of my age, but um, it's a very basic uh a very basic job fighting fires. You know, you got to get people on the ground to, who are going to dig a trench to stop it. And uh, they need um, stuff falling from the sky uh, that's going to cool that fire down so they can get close enough to dig the trench and stop it. And so those, you know, those basic facts, I don't think are going to change that much. There will be, um, you know, there will be innovations in uh, airplanes, you know, safety of the airplanes, the amount that it can carry, uh, you know, smaller airplanes that can carry more. Um, I, I think it will, we're still years off from having, um, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles that will carry retardant and drop it. Um, I see that, you know, in the helicopter world, <clears throat> they're already, they're, they're getting there, but um, it, it's probably not anything that's going to happen in the next five years. I don't, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that out there, but I see that the trends are starting. They, you know, they're, they're beginning to do that work on a, in a small scale. So yeah, innovation wise, I, I think it's going to be in unmanned vehicles and um, you know, uh, the 
the observations that we get, you know, better information makes for easier work for everybody on the other side. So uh, those are those are the big uh, big changes that I see. Yeah. Well, it, it makes complete sense. You know, the the uh, a fire is a fire, and you have to put it out as quickly and as safely as you possibly can. And if you have the analytics and the data to know the exact spot, the best spot uh, that is needed to uh, drop the uh, the retardant, that uh, that's amazing. So rather than have more tankers, more uh, more retardant, more more more, uh, it sounds like the technology is there to make it more specific and really drop the retardant here, 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 and not just, you know, blast the, the forest with, uh, with retardant. So that makes complete sense. And I, I would agree with you. You still need a human down there working it. You still need guidance from, from people and the technology will help make that happen. So, yeah. well, I'll tell you what, on, um, on uptime today, we've been working and, and talking with uh, John Gould with 10 Tanker. John is a former firefighter. He's dedicated his entire life to the industry and your depth of knowledge, uh, your passion for the industry and, and, and knowledge of what things are gonna do moving forward is, is evident. So uh, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for all that 10 Tanker does and fingers crossed on, uh, on, on a mellow, calm fire season, but, but we'll, uh, we'll have to see. Okay, thank you, so Joe, again, it's been a pleasure. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. And I'd like to thank everybody uh, for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by Cap Logistics, and you can find more information about the show in the description below. Don't forget to like and subscribe uh, to the channel. And again, please visit caplogistics.com. John, you're a good man. Thanks for your time. Much appreciated. And we'll see you again next time on Uptime Logistics.